gives to Nick, open three, takes it, makes it to Nick Emery! Rolls it past the defender, gets into the 18, shoots it, near post score! This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Good evening, Cougar Nation, and from Studio 2 in the BYU Broadcasting Building on the Brigham Young University campus in Provo, Utah. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Cougar football training camp continuing as the season opener at Arizona is now just a week and a half away. Great to have you joining us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. You may also be listening to us on demand via our Behind the Mic show page at BYURadio.org or the BYU Radio app, or even on the Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast on your preferred podcast provider. Each week on Behind the Mic, we bring you a one hour of Cougar Conversations with two interesting people. It's an up-close and personal look at the lives and personalities you may know a little, but would like to maybe hopefully know a little better. That's our goal here on Behind the Mic. And all this month, our first month in our second season of weekly shows, we've been all football all the time. Current and former BYU football coaches and players every week throughout this month. Tonight, we've got BYU assistant head coach, linebackers coach, and special teams coordinator Ed Lamb joining us to be followed by former BYU quarterback Riley Nelson with me in studio. We start the night off with Kalani Sitake's right-hand man, and like Kalani, a former Cougar player now coaching for his alma mater. Ed Lamb suited up for both the Ricks College and BYU in the mid-90s. He was a defensive lineman on the winningest single-season BYU football team in Cougar history, the 14-1 squad from 1996. He began his coaching career immediately thereafter, starting with a small school in Southern California, University of Redlands, where he earned a master's degree while working with the D-line and eventually coordinating the Bulldogs defense, which he did until coming back to BYU to help coach the linebackers as a grad assistant coach during the 2001 season under new head coach then Gary Croton. He was then off to Idaho, followed by a stint at San Diego. Then his first head coaching job at Southern Utah, where he worked with some of the coaches who are now part of the current staff at BYU. During his days in Cedar City, Coach Lamb led a T-Bird resurgence that resulted in conference championships and FCS playoff appearances. Following eight seasons at Southern Utah, Ed once again returned to Provo, serving as new head coach Kalani Sitake's assistant and special teams coordinator along with both safeties and now linebackers coach. It is a pleasure to welcome Coach Ed Lamb behind the mic. Hello, Ed. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Greg. So what brought a California kid to the Intermountain West to play football? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I was uh, really football was not my, my first sport in high school, and so I, I really didn't put much thought into playing college football. I was At that time, my plan was to be a college soccer player, and, um, but I really started to enjoy football. I didn't, I didn't begin to play, in fact, until I was a sophomore and really started to enjoy it more my senior year and saw more success on the field. And um, my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Sarah, her, she comes from a big family, 11 kids, and one of her older sisters was actually at uh, Rick's College, what they called it at the time, now BYU-Idaho. And she, was, uh, she took a strength and conditioning class from one of the football coaches and took it upon herself to take a VHS tape, is what we used in those days. Mm-hmm. She took a VHS tape of me um, back up to uh, Rexburg, Idaho, and uh, shortly thereafter, I heard from the coaches, and that was the one and only opportunity I had, and things went really well there, and and then uh, I became a college football player. So, uh, two questions follow up. Then, how did you meet Sarah, and what was your preferred position in soccer? Well, we uh, Sarah and I met um, in in really it was junior high, and we just you know to this day our our homes, the homes that we both lived in uh, for the most part in that town. Was this in Pleasanton or in Pleasanton, else? California, okay. yeah. two two blocks away? So, yeah, we 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 knew each other, um, you know, obviously as friends and classmates first for a long time before we started dating. Started dating somewhere in our sophomore year of uh, of high school, and then um, I was a center forward or what we called striker in those days. Was your family an LDS family, by the way? Yes, they are. Yeah, okay. yeah very, very much so. And so, uh, you know, that was a, I think, a big break breakthrough for me. You know, being non-member, um, you know, I, I really didn't understand what their family was all about from a religious standpoint. They didn't, they didn't necessarily, you know, uh, share that with me with any kind of agenda. And then, and then all of a sudden, I find myself at Rick's College, no shorts, and uh, got to shave, <laughs> and 
uh, just completely different um, environment. So, of course, uh, Ricks and and BYU owned, operated by the LDS Church. You're not a member of the faith, but clearly the environment, standards, everything else associated are good fits for you in your life. It really is, yeah. I mean, the, the what we call here every day the honor code, you know, but I think more church-wide. It's, uh, you know, the gospel or the standards of the church. I mean, those those fit my lifestyle really well. It's the ways, way that I want to uh, be, the way that I want to raise my kids. And then, um, you know, I get the question, as you can imagine, I get the question all the time, about, well, why not just get baptized? And, you know, I think that that's, that's just an ongoing um, thing for me. But, uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy going to church. I enjoy exploring that. I take it very seriously, and, and I want to do it, uh, you know, when— when it's right. Back in the day, the preferred path for the best players at the time was you'd go from Ricks to BYU, ideally and hopefully, and, that, and then that was your path. Yes. Um, well, I think there were five of us that signed from Ricks, and that, that might have been uh, particularly high, but I think on a regular basis there were, there were you know, two or three players signing with BYU every year. And in fact, we had more. I think we had five, but uh, I think later, uh, the next semester, Ben Cahoon ended up coming, and uh, Aaron Roderick, and some of the guys that I consider my teammates up there also came uh, at a later time. Your playing days at BYU were 1995 and 96. In 95, a sack and a couple of hurries on the resume, a couple more sacks and hurries and a fumble forced in 1996 for those that are really into your defensive stats while you were here. <laughs> yeah. uh, what are the primary memories you took from your playing days in Provo? Well, you know, as the stats would indicate, you know, I mean, I, I was not, um, you know, we had, we had some All-Americans and NFL players on that team and and I was not one of those. In fact, I just had to work incredibly hard um, to get on the field to, to earn a few starts. I think I, I got a, a handful of starts, maybe five or six starts. I started about every other game in my in my recollection. And uh, we had a pretty good rotation going there on the defensive line. But I, I really it was the it was for me the first time in team sports in my life where I had to play a supporting role. And I think that just taught me a lot about how to enjoy a sport for more than being the the star player or uh, the player that's expected to make all the plays. In 1996, it was a 14 and one season. Have you been back to Husky Stadium since that season? You have. I, I have yeah, a couple of times. So with the, with the University of Idaho, I was the defensive okay. coordinator there, and we we would play uh, non conference games against the other Northwest schools quite often. It was so, the one loss in '96. Obviously, it was up in up in Seattle. It, yeah, the the one loss and uh, yeah, a, a tough loss. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, just a, a really a, a poor overall showing offense and defense that day. In 1995, back one season, it was a seven and four year. And of course, nowadays seven and four means you're bowling. At that time, I remember we went down to Fresno. I think finished the season. Sark went like 21 for 24, some silly thing, and and we played really well. Beat Fresno State, got a seventh win, and it didn't mean anything because we weren't going to a bowl game. That's right. Yeah, and, and that, that ended a long streak for Lavelle. It sure did, and uh, wasn't wasn't an embarrassment uh, for us all, and just just felt like we let it let the program down and uh, let coach down. And and at that time, and I and I believe it's still the same. I'm not in the shoes of the of the current recruits, but I think. At that time, if, if you chose BYU, you did it with a, a real knowledge of what was expected and um, the, the success that was on the line every year. And then uh, we were responsible for that success. And so to not make a bowl game in that year was uh, an embarrassment, but something that we you know, eventually just looked at head on, took it on head on, and led to a great offseason and, and a great season the next year. Yeah, from one extreme to the other, ending a bowl streak in 95 to then going to a New Year's Day bowl, Cotton Bowl 96. Yeah, and... And even uh, you know, I can remember Coach uh, Ramage, the defensive line coach at the time. You know, we were going through our walkthrough the day before the game at the stadium at the Cotton Bowl, and um, I don't remember just having a sense for how big of a deal it was. You know, we're just kind of I think in the moment, and who's the next opponent, and where's the game, and get on the bus, and and the bus takes you wherever you're supposed to go. And mm-hmm. but Coach Ramage was very emotional and was thankful to the you know that got the defensive line together and talked to the defensive line about how special it was for him to coach in a New Year's Day bowl game. And uh, only only when he said that did I start to think about all the years growing up and sitting around watching New Year's Day bowl games and, and the fact that it, it was it was uh, special and different and unique of other bowl games. So the Cotton Bowl ended your playing career on that New Year's Day in 1997 and and you're now into your third decade you don't look old enough to be into the third decade of something, but you're into your third decade of coaching now because your coaching career began like right away. You left college, and then the next season, 97, there you are at Redlands, and you're into the profession. You know, a funny story about that. So I, I did. I, I, um, 
when we landed the plane uh, from the Cotton Bowl, my truck was already packed, and I took off that night. I didn't sleep, and um, I, I went directly to my first job, and I, and I felt like the most privileged person in the world to be a college football coach at uh, the University of Redlands. And um, just a, a couple of short weeks later, there was a coaching um, convention um, or clinic. Uh, I think it was a clinic in uh, Southern California, and Coach Norm Chow was, was speaking. And so I was at his speech, of course, and couldn't wait after to say, hey, coach, you know, and I was proudly wearing my polo shirt, my Redlands polo coaching shirt. And and I went up to him after and said, hey, coach, how's it going? And he said, uh, what are you doing here? How'd you get in here? <laughs> yeah. And he had no idea that, you know, that I wasn't still on campus and still on the team and all that stuff. It was just kind of a funny moment. Not too many college players have a job lined up right after their, their last day of playing. Yeah, I, yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a – well, not always. That's not a fair way to say it. But I, at some point I can remember, you know, really looking up to my youth coaches in baseball and, and soccer. And then when I started playing football and they just – they were transformative for me. My dad was my coach when I was in the in the really younger sports and always thought a lot of coaches and wanted to be a coach. And then that, and then that you know, transitioned to football. And when it became clear that I was not going to be an NFL draft choice, then, then I really worked hard to get a coaching opportunity. You were on the ladder at that point, uh, Redlands to Idaho to USD to SUU. What, what have you hoped to accomplish each time you make a move? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a really good question because, um, you know, I think for, for a lot of years I was chasing um, um, a career for myself and my family, um, it's tough to earn a living as a college football coach, and I and I took it very serious um, to be as successful as I could. But I, I can remember in uh, 2014 as a head coach, we had a, a really a, a poor year by Southern Utah standards, and um, everything changed for me in that in that moment because um, for the first time, I looked at the players as a head coach and realized that every player's bad experience that year in uh, losing when we expected to win was on me, that I, ha- I had a share in every one of those. And that's much different than a position coach or a coordinator. And um, it changed it to this day. Mm-hmm. The most important thing for me, and I think about it every day, and I, and I pray about it every morning, I want to be the very best coach that I can be for those young men. As much as you may get asked about uh, the LDS Church, you may also get asked as frequently about coaching with Jim Harbaugh in San Diego. Yeah. One of your stops was USD. You had time with him, and of course he's one of the biggest names in the game. How do you look back on your time there? Do you still associate, and, and what did you take from your days in San Diego? Oh, cherish it. We could, we could talk for a long time about the things that I learned from Coach Harbaugh and then from, from the staff he put together. You know, David Shaw was on that staff. Johnny Morton, Lance Anderson's the defensive coordinator now at Stanford. Tim Drevno, hmm. offensive coordinator at uh, Michigan uh, but there's just um, there, there were and, and the the guy who was most formative for me was Dave Adolph, who was a 30 year coordinator in the defensive coordinator in the National Football League, and he completely uh, formed all of the you know, my current convictions about defense. He's the one that really introduced those to me. You know, Jim Jim was magic magical with the players. He could uh, he could he could literally wake up. Uh, straight from bed, drive to the facility, and motivate a whole team to uh, practice, play hard. I mean, it's just he ate, drank, and, and slept and performed football coaching every minute of the day. He used to say, my goals are to be a football coach and then die. <laughs> it's a pretty short bucket list there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. From San Diego, was off to southern Utah, and uh, eight years there led to another return to BYU. When we come back from this break, Coach Lamb again comes back to Provo. We'll talk about uh, coaching alongside Kalani Satake, family life, and his hopes for the 2018 season. When we return to more Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, we are brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. More with Coach Ed Lamb right after this. listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And we are back on Behind the Mic, visiting tonight with BYU assistant head coach, linebackers coach, and special teams coordinator Ed Lamb, former BYU quarterback Riley Nelson, coming up just after the bottom of the hour. Coach Lambo, what persuaded you uh, after eight seasons, I think it was, as the head coach now in Cedar City at Southern Utah, to move uh, back to Provo in 2016 with Kalani to a position other than head coach? 
Oh, that, yeah, that, another really good question there. I, um, for the last several years um, while I was at, at Southern Utah, I just began to think about um, what uh, what opportunities I might possibly leave um, Southern Utah for. And um, I, I was uh, offered or contacted about several head coaching jobs, but they were in the conference and, and in the FCS level. And it, it became clear that if I wanted to be a, an FBS head football coach, that I would have to make a move. And then, it, and then it became about making the right move and doing it at the right time. I felt like I had a really good staff at Southern Utah. We had a, a great uh, season in uh, 2015 and um, felt like that the the opportunity for one of the assistants to be named head coach would be really high if I had left at that time. I saw my good and longtime friend uh, Kalani Sataki accept the the job here, and uh, we had we'd always stayed in contact. And I felt like there would probably be an opportunity for me there. And you know, one one conversation, preliminary conversations lead to final conversations, and then and then I was here. You're in your third season now at BYU, in your third stint at BYU, if you will. A nine and four debut campaign followed by the flip flop four and nine. How much of what happened in in the second year was instructed by or had anything to do with what happened in the first year? The way the way uh, you look back at it. Well, I I think um, the the hardest thing probably in coaching is to take over for um, a successful head football coach. I saw that um, you know I was part of Gary Croton's staff for one year. And it was a tremendously successful year after Coach Edwards, and um, but year two was a was a significant drop. I think any time there's a coaching change, regardless of the previous coach, the the players really have an uptick in motivation, and they bring it upon themselves to impress the new coaches and play hard. Year two, uh, the coach really stands on his own. I think that's where the real challenge comes in, especially when you take over for a coach who has been very successful because uh, no longer is it about impressing the new coach, but, uh, you know, the new coaches, uh, the players are performing according to the standards we've set and the, the how well we coach them. And, um, you know, it, by all accounts, we, we failed. We failed as a group. We failed as a team. And uh, we have tremendous responsibility to bring BYU football back where it should be this season. To that end, uh, how would you maybe characterize your level of, of confidence or eagerness as we approach the season opener here in 10 days? Um, my honestly, my my confidence is always high, and so at the end of a poor season, I can only look back and say I was overconfident because I I'm I'm always confident in the in the players. We just we put in too much time every off season and every week of preparation, every opponent that we play. I mean, it might sound absurd now, but if if the Baltimore Ravens were actually on our schedule and I spent a week preparing to beat them and preparing our guys to be as good as they can be. I would be very confident about our chances, and so I'm, I'm not the guy to ask about confidence. There's an eagerness that's, uh, I think, spread equally around all the teams right now in August because we can all have the same level of, 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 of confidence or excitement about the season. But I, is it well-founded? And like, you're not just, it's, It wouldn't be a lip service thing to say you feel you've got a good group uh, to do some, some, uh, some impressive things this year. I do. I, I feel like we... Um, you know, I can point to specific examples of how hard guys have worked, but I can probably do that every year. I think, you know, again, it, you know, the, the responding to the term confidence or the request about confidence is hard. I, I could definitely be critical about what I feel like are going to be our challenges this year, where we're, where we need to make you know, big improvements from, you know, where we sit right now, three, four practices into training camp and where we're, uh, where we need to be by game one. I could speak to those things, but I'm confident that we'll get there. And I, I'm always I'm behind our boys, and uh, our boys are ready to go in my mind. Ed, you're known you're known as a coach with a, a knack for spotting talent, and, and particularly professional talent or the ability to develop talent to that level. As you look back over either guys you've been able to coach or bring into your programs, what are boxes that you see that you seem to think all those guys check pretty consistently? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, pe- people have said that. I always, I always hear it a little bit different in my mind when people say, "Gosh, you've really had a knack for putting guys in the NFL or recognizing, developing NFL talent." Because really, th- those those were a, a small number compared to the number of players that I've recruited over the years. And if we just take the Southern Utah sample, I think you know the coaches in that league know that at Southern Utah we were able to take players who were really not recruited by anyone else because. Southern Utah doesn't have much to offer in the ways of facilities, resources, a winning tradition, et cetera. But we were very successful, especially within our conferences, the Great West Conference and the Big Sky Conference. 
and we did it by developing everyone, not just not just those with NFL measurables. I I'm enamored with speed. I'm enamored with height and length, and that I think those guys, some of those guys, developed in a special way, as much to their credit as any anything we coaches did. But uh, you know, I I think what in no matter what um, we're looking at, what, it, what the, the head coach is in charge of every aspect of the program: recruiting, meal planning, scheduling, practice planning teaching, the way the coaches teach. And it, in, at every turn, I always look first at player development. How can we best develop this player, regardless of whether he has NFL potential or not? Well, on a personal note, uh, you're, you're the head of a family of six. You have a son and three daughters. I have a son and three daughters. You have a son on the autism spectrum. We have a son on the spectrum. And, and the word spectrum is pretty appropriate, I think, because uh, no two children with that particular diagnosis of autism find themselves at the exact same spot on that wide spectrum. My son's challenges, our son's challenges uh, vary from yours, your, your son's challenges. The one commonality that, that parents all can always relate to, though, is that uh, raising someone on the spectrum, um, society's conventional rules for communication or sociality don't really apply and and. Not everyone's going to understand how you and your family operate in that setting. Yeah, you said that so well, Greg. If, if there's one thing I've learned about the autism spectrum, it's that I, I don't know anything. And um, as soon as I make judgments about other other kids at, at my son's school or um, or my son, for that matter, then then uh, you know I'm I'm corrected just through life experience, and it, uh, it's it's an incredible challenge and probably the the thing that uh, you know someday if I can if I can have a, a voice and a platform to to educate others. Uh, number one, I need to educate myself better. But I would I would just say that uh, you know if if people could could possibly recognize who these who these kids are and and uh, understand in any way what the parents are going through, you know it is um, it can be a, a real challenge. And then uh, I know you feel the same way as like all these challenges, all these embarrassing moments at the grocery store, et cetera, or, or anywhere else. And then. If somebody gave me an opportunity to push a button and change it, uh, I, I wouldn't change it. You know, it's my life. It's my reality. It's my son. And I wouldn't change it. You may or may not feel the same way. You, you don't think long term. You think day to day, week to week. And I, I refuse to project what life might be like with Regan in five years or 10 years. But I do always believe this one thing. If it means he's still under my roof or under our roof living with us and we're making him as happy as we can possibly be, then so be it. Whatever it's going to take to put him in a place that he needs to be, I don't care how long it is. And again, I don't even want to project because uh, we'll just take it day by day and, and see how it goes. So true. We learned that so fast. Right? I mean, when I first started to figure out that uh, my son was different. You know, my first uh, my first instinct was to just gather all the literature I could, and I was going to fix him. I was going to coach him up. I was going to coach him to be normal and and to be a great uh, student athlete and all that stuff. And then, you know, so quickly, it, it, I was humbled to learn that um, he he's not. Uh, you know, and the way I define it right now is uh, he's not special in that he can't do things. He's just different, and um, and I need to appreciate him for who he is. And I'm still learning. Well, I know you appreciate uh, him and his uh, gifts deeply, as you do your wife and daughters. We've talked about Sarah. We'll just give Sarah credit once again, and maybe we could uh, just name your other uh, kids individually and uh, and give them a little recognition, and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Thanks. Yeah, we, it's a good thing our, our Edward was born last, you know, because he has tremendous help from older sister Anna, who's 19 now, and, and uh, has got her papers in, and she'll be called on a mission here in the next probably 10 days, and really excited about that in her life, and uh, daughter Amelia, who's uh, just a couple of weeks away from turning 15, is uh, on the Tempview High School soccer team uh, this year. Just just found out last week that she made the team. That's Congrats. really exciting. That's awesome. Yes. And then uh, my youngest daughter, Summer, is a, she's nine years old and she's a dancer. Actually born on the same day as, as uh, her best friend, uh, Sadie Sitake, Coach Sitake's uh, daughter. And they, uh, they dance together nonstop at the studio, outside the studio, at home, everywhere they can find. And, and so dancing is her thing. Well, Ed, uh, we'll talk a lot more as the season goes along with our, our weekly visits, our almost weekly visits on the Coordinator's Corner. That'll be fun. I always enjoy talking with you on a little more of an X and O's platform, but uh, it's been good to chat with you and, and learn more about your life uh, today. I hope our listeners appreciated it equally, and uh, thanks again.
Thank you, Greg. All right, that's Coach Ed Lamb. Coming up after the break, I visit with former BYU quarterback Riley Nelson in our Catching Up with the Cougars segment of the show brought to you by BYU alumni. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Stay with us. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. A record-setting quarterback from Cache County, Riley Nelson, had geographical and family ties to Utah State University, and it was there that he began his college football career, a career that would conclude at BYU. During his prep days at Logan High School, Riley set numerous state standards with both his arm and his legs. The consummate dual-threat signal caller, he was a pure playmaker and a natural leader, voted as a team captain while a freshman for the Aggies. After transferring to BYU following two years of LDS missionary service, Riley served as an understudy to senior quarterback Max Hall at BYU, and in that sophomore season ended up throwing his first touchdown as a Cougar. His 2010 season was cut short due to injury after only three games of play and two more touchdown passes. Riley would bounce back in 2011. And after taking over the starter's role five games into the season, he would lead BYU to a 6-1 and stretch record and a bowl game win over Tulsa in Dallas. The undisputed starter entering his senior season, he would again deal with injury issues but played hurt and played a lot as BYU made it back to another bowl game and eighth straight for the program. Riley ended his BYU career having passed for 35 touchdowns and run for six more. He topped 4,000 yards in passing and approached 1,000 yards on the ground. He was ultimately recognized as recognized for his perseverance as he was his performance. I love the way he played and had a lot of fun calling the plays during his BYU days. Riley Nelson joins me now in tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU alumni. BYU alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Riley Nelson, welcome in, and thanks for joining us behind the mic. Thanks for having me, Greg. So uh, I mentioned it off the top. Just how strong really are those family ties uh, to Cache County, Logan, and USU? Yeah, they're incredibly strong. We're coming up on – so above my bed growing up, we I had the team photo of the 1921. It wasn't even Utah State at that time. It was the Utah Agricultural College football team. Featured two of my great-grandpas. One was a, a junior quarterback, my great-grandpa Schaub, on my dad's side. And then his other grandpa, his dad's dad, was George Nelson. He was quite a bit older, but he was the head athletic trainer on that football team. And that, so 1921, we're coming up off almost on 100 years uh, of legacy there. The, of course, go on the field, the field house up there is the Nelson field house that's named after my great grandpa who was in that photo who after 40 years there and then come down the line um my paternal grandfather played for him as well as my dad did and then on my other side on my my mom is the daughter of uh, Rod Tuller who has a long legacy up there was basketball coach a longtime assistant then head coach and then athletic director as well as every one of my uncle's um, on my mom's side, my mom is one of five daughters, all of whom married Utah State athletes except for one. And flashing forward to the current day, you've got brothers DJ and Chase up in Logan playing on the Utah State football team now, right? Yep, currently on the roster. DJ's a senior and um, looking like after, you know, battling, battling, we Nelsons, we love a good position battle. It seems like majority of our college <laughs> careers are mired in that. No, but it, it's it's great, which we might get to this later, but He's finally made the switch over to slot receiver and is slotted to play. He's you know he's running with the ones there. And then my other brother, who's a sophomore, more recently back from his mission, is battling to kind of get on the two deep in the defensive secondary. Safety, right? Yep. Yeah. So pretty well established, the, the Utah State connection. So a decision to transfer to BYU ultimately was not taken lightly. It's a big deal. Honestly, for me, it was... So I got recruited by BYU out of high school. Um, for those that may or may not remember, James Lark and I were the same recruiting class. And um, for many reasons, you know, if you were to see both James and I in a summer camp setting, you'd say one of these is clearly has a chance to be a big-time Division One quarterback and one of these I don't know about. And uh, I was the one that you just weren't sure about. I'm kind of a six-foot average white guy. I don't show well in, in practice um, or summer camp type settings. And so... 
James got the uh, first offer of the scholarship, and they didn't have one w- with the missionaries coming back and all that. They didn't have one for me. I, I really enjoyed my recruitment from Coach Doman and Coach Anai and uh, Coach Mendenhall were kind of the ones that I interacted through my recruitment there and, and ultimately didn't have a spot for me. I felt like there was an opportunity to play up at Utah State. Uh, I there, Now, I'm getting given a little bit of background because I was just recently talking with a, a friend about this, and my college – my college football career, I chased the best opportunity available for me at the time. And um, through some through communicating with home and my old high school football coach and with, you know, what the depth looked like behind Max coming back and what the kind of some of the things that had happened up at Utah State with that program, it was kind of darkest before dawn. They, you know, they, they were – in almost a full year of uncertainty before they ended up hiring Gary Anderson. But during that year of uncertainty, I was like, this is my future on the line. I have to do what's best for me. I have an opportunity to go, as my high school coach <laughs> described it, trade in a Pinto for a Mercedes from a program standpoint at that time in 2007, 2008. Um, and I made the switch over to BYU. And it's it was it was a decision that not only ch- it wasn't you're right it wasn't t- taken lightly but uh thinking back what my emotions were in the moment it was really just a chance to compete at a higher level um at a at a better program and uh, i made that decision it's made all the difference and uh, i couldn't be more happy with it you self assessed as not maybe a prototypical quarterback but what similarities objectively would you say that you and max hall shared we had different leadership styles, but I would say the intensity and the uh, weight that we put on that aspect of leadership was the same. Um, the way we communicated was a little bit different. The way we led was a little bit different, but it mattered that. I would say that uh, what I was able to learn from Max and how we were similar was how much we cared about um, embracing and thriving in that leadership role was the same. And then the other aspect was the way we approached um, the the way we approached the study of the game and the mental preparation of it. Uh, I, I loved I still do love film, love scheming. Um, Max did too. Now, it was different because I was still trying to learn. I was still trying to crew the reps. He was a senior, had kind of seen it all. You know, he three years in the Mountain West. He kind of knew what Air Force was going to run, or he knew what New Mexico defense was going to throw against him. So he wasn't uh, – And by the time he was a senior, he didn't need to put in the hours upon hours. But he did give me some good tips and learning there. And so there, I would say that's where uh, Max and I were similar. And then uh, not to uh, elevate myself because I know Max is – known and as he should be a part of his legend is an absolute fearless and insatiable competitor i like to think that uh you know i i learned some of that from him and, and was able to match that level absolutely 2009 your sophomore season max's senior year was an 11 and 2 campaign in 2010 now you talked about how you and james lark maybe at a time were competing for a scholarship at BYU. Flash forward a few years, 2010, now it's you and Jake Keeps competing for a starting role at BYU. And Robert and I came out of that August camp with the decision to let you both have a shot at it, essentially. And and from that first game in 2010, home versus Washington, it was a platoon, right? Yeah, every other series, no matter what you did. And it was, um, I've learned since, um, you know, as you graduate, the amount it's more curiosity. You don't care how they arrived, but I learned that what happened was they took an offensive staff vote and it was split. Then they took a entire staff vote and it was split. And so the best solution that they could come up with about who should be the starting quarterback was to go every other series. I started the the first series simply because I was the upperclassman, but the, it was meant to be equitable the whole, um, essentially until one of us separated each other. And um, my – maybe not regret, but as I look back at that, we track numbers, of course, all through spring. You know, Jake highly touted. We all know the reasons why he was given such an, a great opportunity. And quite honestly, he earned it by coming in performing to, to a good level. I, I was able to stay slightly ahead of him in all the metrics and practice and all those things, but I didn't separate myself um, far enough And um, because it's not ideal – quarterback much like pitching much like golf most any sport there needs to be a rhythm and a flow to it and when the leader of the offense 
um, for the unit is coming out every other play, and then for that individual player, for for me and Jake as quarterbacks, it's just it's just so hard to stop, start, stop, start, and um, you know ultimately it didn't it didn't matter much. I got injured. Jake took over, but fall of 2010, spring into next of 2011, that kind of 12 months was as formative, and I draw on that experience as much when facing challenges outside in real life uh, than any other. So as tough as it was to to maybe go through and maybe um, it didn't put the program in the best chance to win as many games as we could have, for me personally, it was uh, was an amazing experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. As Jake did finish out the season as the starter following your injury in 2010, he was the incumbent in 2011. So 2011 season starts... It's now going to be your junior season because you had the, uh, the medical, medical the year venture. before, right? So your junior season, now you've got a sophomore, so a year ahead of you and the incumbent starter, you're destined now to be the backup at BYU. But not more than a few games into 2011, they're going back to you again. So I was told at the end of spring ball that essentially, being that I was a year ahead of him, uh, I would be holding a clipboard, so to speak. You yeah. know, that's the that's the term for just you're the backup. You're mm-hmm. going to play in junk time, and and if he gets banged up, you know, if he if he suffers a season-ending injury, which it, you know the way Jake played, tried to get the ball out quick. He didn't really. He tried to avoid contact at all costs, which is from a guy who <laughs> once <laughs> the job was his. He's battled injuries the whole time. I might, uh, in passing whatever knowledge I have onto the, my next generation, my sons. <laughs> Maybe that's not such a bad thing. <laughs> you need a you need a healthy mix. But uh, essentially, was told I was going to hold a clipboard, and at that it was interesting at that time. So Nick Howe, he and I go way back in high school. He coached at Ben Lomond High School when I was at Logan High, and we played some non conference games against each other, uh, as well as his uncle was the baseball coach at Logan High. So I had some history with the Howe family, and and had known Nick for a long time. He was coaching safeties at the time. He started recruiting me over. He says this team. This team needs you. You need to be on the field. You know that even though you may have lost this position battle, that your your leadership can still impact this team for good and help us win games. So started recruiting me over to defense. Ultimately, I now at the time we had uh, Danny Sorensen, obviously you know having himself a, a career in the pros, and and Craig Bills, who was probably along that same track until injuries yeah. sort of derailed him. But we had a good defensive secondary as well as. Mike Hague had made the switch from defense or fr- from offense over to defense about a year ahead of me, so he had that many more reps and things like that. So looking at that, as flattered as I was um, and as exciting as maybe the opportunity was to go play on special, at least start contributing on special teams, you maybe get in the rotation on defense, I ultimately determined that I've put too much into this. I know that if the opportunity – I know that as long as I can uh, keep my position in the backup, I'm one play away mm-hmm. right, from getting another opportunity to prove that I can lead this team from the quarterback position. And so – uh, it, it was tough to hear that, that to hear from my coaches that I was only good en- that I was only good enough, and my position on the team was going to be one of, of a backup role. But ultimately, I decided to uh, stick with it, and uh, I was able to get that opportunity again and capitalize. Yeah, how things change. It was the uh, fifth game of the 2011 season, your junior season. Jake's now a sophomore starter. BYU's two and two, and on the way to two and three because you're trailing of all teams, Utah State. 24 to 13 in the second half. And Coach Doman and Coach Mendenhall turn to you and they make a switch, in game switch. And as BYU fans all remember well, you come in, uh, spark the comeback, the Marcus Matthews TD, you beat your old team 27 24, and you once again are the starting quarterback at BYU. Everyone thinks that the fact that it was against Utah State was what made it so, maybe made it so special for me. And that honestly, the reason why it was so special for me was because. That adversity of not only coming back from injury, but being told I probably was, you know, I would be holding a clipboard for the rest of, for the rest of my career, and maybe you should switch positions. Yeah, 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 and perhaps switch positions yeah. that I had, I had spent. You know, I going from you, you mentioned my I had a prep career where from Little Logan, Utah, I had made it to being in the pages of USA Today as a first team All American in high school, right, and, and Parade Magazine and all these. Going from there and feeling like, hey, I can play the the quarterback position at a high level to you know these these uh, I don't know if discouraging is the right right word, but um, get, going through some of these challenging experiences. The reason why it was so special was because, um, and it was through 
a lot of support from my family members, from other teammates, from even, you know, Coach Stone. The same guy who would bench me continued to encourage me. Other alumni that had reached out, having talks with Coach Mendenhall, I I rededicated myself. I worked harder than I had ever worked. I continued to believe uh, there was a kind of a concept that I don't know where I got it from, but in the inevitability of your success. And I believed that – and how you define success is different. I had decided not to define success as whether or not I ever, I ever got a chance to play or perform on the field again, but to, that in the face of either adversity or in the face of um, prosperity, I would not uh, – my work ethic would not waver. It would not deviate. I would be the same committed, driven person. And so to get that opportunity and to have it work out, you know, a lot of things had to go right in that game. And they all did. And for that to happen was more the validation and culmination of a lot of hard work and blood, sweat, and tears than it was getting back at any other program or stealing my job back from Jake Heaps or anything like It didn't have anything to do with that. It was just that I had quietly put in so much dedication. And to be able to have a moment to have uh, some of that validated is something that I'll treasure for the rest of my life. So now as the starter in 2011, Riley Nelson helped lead BYU to what is currently today its last double-digit win season, 10-3 and back in 2011. You were injured late in the season versus Idaho, actually missed the New Mexico State game, came back, though, and really the, the, the last two games of that season were two of your best games, I think we'd say, uh, at Hawaii, just tremendous statistical game uh, there to finish the regular season. And then the way the uh, bowl game ended in beating Tulsa in remarkable fashion. What a great way to finish off the 2011 campaign for you. It was fantastic. And um, they on BYU TV, they replay that Arms Forces bowl game uh, every so often. And I just caught one recently in the last couple months. And The Red Alert game. Yeah, the Red <laughs> Alert game. That's something that we had... <laughs> That uh, I come off the sideline and uh, we had just won the game and Coach Mendenhall waves me over and I'm thinking he's going to give me you know a pat on the butt and, and a nice job and he says you're darn lucky that worked <laughs> because from the sideline they were saying clock it we had uh, you know we had called red alert and we had a it was so clock it was one hand red alert was two hands. And I said, what the heck, let's do this. And uh, it ended up working out. So you and Cody. Dodged the bullet there, yep. And and that was, you know, a, a connection that uh, carried over into the next year. And I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by many great players on that 2011 team. Really appreciated, you know, that next year, and, and we'll probably uh, discuss this, but we were a little bit thin on the depth at O-line, and we experienced some injuries there, and it made it tough on me also being injured that next year. But really appreciate that group of guys not a lot of them are heralded. Not a lot of their names kind of go down in the memories of a lot of BYU fans. But as a unit, we were as as hard. I had as much fun playing with those guys because they were as hardworking and as dedicated as any unit that I've been involved with. Well, Riley is right. So we are going to talk about that uh, 2012 season coming up next. Let's uh, take a break. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Chatting with Riley Nelson, we'll hit that 2012 season and uh, bring it to the current days with former BYU quarterback Riley Nelson. Back with him after this. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Greg Rubel. It is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU alumni. Greg Grubel here visiting with former BYU quarterback Riley Nelson. And before the break, uh, Riley alluded to the fact that we could chat about the 2012 season, uh, which despite some hurdles, uh, Riley, you said, still has a special uh, place in your heart. The year went 8-5. and five. And a really great start against Washington State. We could we could say, I'm not sure this is accurate or not, it might have been the last game you played fully healthy, the first game of the year, really. Uh, a nice win over Washington State. I think it was Mike Leach's first game uh, with the Cougars. Uh, BYU won 30-6. to So many good things about that game. And then Weber State in Week 2 saw you get banged up, and that really kind of set the course for the rest of your year. Yeah, it um, a lot of hard work. I, I had revamped my mechanics over the end of the season. I felt like I was throwing the ball as good and as consistently uh, as as I could have. And, you know, my health at BYU, the, the center or the, the attention is always focused on the quarterback, as it should be. Um, 
So, yeah, I got hurt in that Weber State game, but so did Michael Lisa, who, you know, as great as Jamal, Jamal kind of came along over the course of that year. But if you can imagine having Mike and Jamal carry, you know, sharing carries in the background or in the backfield, and our offensive line started off good. We lost Houston Reynolds uh, in the preseason, which hurt our depth a little bit, but we still had, we, we walked out, you know, five guys who could play up front, and each one of them, it seemed like week after week, got picked off. But that Washington State game, was uh, we knew we were going to be good. We knew we were going to have a good defense. We knew we had a lot of upperclassmen who were smart, dedicated guys who gave good effort. And uh, that was a a really fun and a great game because we went out and everything that we thought we were, it showed on the field. And um, obviously, you know, hopes were very high. And then sure enough, the next week we're up 21 points and – I was a very calculated runner. So, like, on this particular play, to where some may chalk it up, chalk it up to recklessness on my ha- on my behalf, I justify it by saying I was calculated. I, I had the first down. I was engaged with a player uh, on my lower half, and I already had the first down. I was trying to get to the ground, avoid injury. And sure enough, as I'm trying to get to the ground and avoid injury, this middle linebacker comes flying in to finish me off, puts his helmet right in my lower back, yep. causes some fractures to the to the bones back there, and... Um, well, as you said, continue to try and play play through it, and um, the the rest of the se- the story of the rest of the season was a lot of near misses. I think. Well, it began that injury began kind of a season long injury odyssey. You, you, you were four games in, and and then you were out. Uh, Taysom was in for a couple, then he was out uh, for with a season ending injury. You got back for the bowl game, and then it's kind of suddenly over for you at that point and and um when when you realize that that is how it ended for you uh how do you look back at, at the entirety of your BYU career injuries and everything else and and how do you maybe assess what it all meant to you uh a legacy if you want to use that word and and, and what you ultimately took with you from Provo uh I view my career at BYU as an absolute unmitigated success most good, even great players that I know, there's elements. You can call it luck. You can call it good fortune. I like. It's just I like to call it the nature of the game. In that sometimes the ball bounces. Sometimes the call goes in your way. Sometimes you cough up a fumble, and your lineman jumps on it. But sometimes he's not in the position, and the other guy does. And it's a, you know, those the football gods determine those. What didn't change for me, and the reason why I called it unmitigated success, despite those injuries, we just talked about that six and that six and one run my junior year, and even that comeback. So in that in that run, there was three games that came back came down to the last drive. We were lucky enough that each of those three last drives worked out for us. Well, the next year, we were of those. You mentioned those five losses. Four mm-hmm. of those five losses came down to the last drive, and unfortunately. For whatever reasons, the ball swung the other way. Against Utah, we kicked the field goal off the upright. Against Boise, the two-point conversion gets tipped. Against San Jose State, a guy makes like a Herculean play, jumps over the top of Jamal for a sack fumble as, you know, I'm I'm staring down, about to throw the ball to Cody wide open in the end zone. How about the craziness at the end of the Utah game? Yeah, the Utah, kick it, three field goals. We yeah. can't get one through the uprights and, you know, all that stuff. And... Largely out of my control, but the reason why I call it an unmitigated success and why I look back on my career with fondness and and consider myself so fortunate to be part of the fraternity and the tradition of the and the rich tradition of the program here at BYU is what what didn't change was that we were competitive in every game. I I feel comfortable knowing and the tape and the box scores prove it up or, or back it up that. Pretty much every game that I started, with the exception of one, the Oregon State game got away from us uh, a a little bit. But despite, as a starter, every single loss and every single game, we we were in it. We either were winning and heading away to a win, or we had a chance to win in those final seconds. We competed. We were there with a chance to win. And and at the end of the day, as you kind of are sitting here as a – I'm I'm fully entrenched and accepting of my has been status. That's all you can ask for is a chance to compete, and that's what we did. A two pronged wrap up for you then. If you could update us on what you're doing professionally, what life is like for you now, and then maybe some impressions of season three now of the Kalani Sitaka era and what might be ahead for the Cougars at the quarterback position and uh, for the team in general. 
My wife and I uh, live in Bountiful. Right after my senior senior season, I had the chance to, while I was um, applying to and going through the process to hopefully get into medical school, which didn't work out, by the way, um, had the chance to go up and coach my little brother in his senior football season. So that was, I hope to get back there. The tough thing about coaching high school football is professionally, it's hard to be off work every day at 1.30. And and if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put the time in to do it right. And and you got to be fair to those kids. So... Now is not the time. We're not currently coaching. I hope to get there one time. But we live in Bountiful. We just uh, we have a ten month old. Our first um, Lou is is our first boy's name, and he's picking up a lot of stuff with his right hand. Which uh, I guess there's no more left handed quarterbacks left in the NFL. So so I guess that's a good thing if he wants to be a quarterback. I was kind of hoping he'd be smarter than I was and maybe be a pitcher where le- being a lefty helps you out. But loving life, uh, making it down to. Only maybe two or three games a year for for BYU, but that's mostly due to the fact that we're spending so much time supporting my brothers up in Logan. Uh, once they kind of finish up, I, you know, we'll, it'll probably justify being season ticket holders, and we'll be down here to Provo every Saturday. So uh, looking forward um, to that. And then as far as the state of the current program, one of the things, and I see it as a parallel between my career. This is that you look at the schedule, you look at the state of the program, you look at the number of returners. And I, I feel like the program is in a state like where I was following that 2010 season that there's really no expectations. And so I quietly made an internal decision to dedicate to, to not let my commitment to the game and my work ethic waver in spite of adversity, in spite of being written off. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's where the program is today. And I'm excited, as excited as I was heading into that 2011 season, starting, even though I was starting it as a backup and had been relegated to irrelevance, <laughs> I'm, I'm that excited for the team this year because there's nothing to lose. They can go out and play loose. They can play hard. And when the expectations are what they are, you get the wonderful satisfaction of proving everybody wrong. And so I couldn't be more excited for the upcoming season. Riley, appreciate your thoughts on uh, current and former things BYU football. Pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for having me, Greg. Always a pleasure. All right, that's Riley Nelson. And tonight's Catching Up with the Cougar segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU Alumni Chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. We're back to wrap up tonight's show right after this. Cougar Nation, that will do it for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. My thanks to this evening's guests, BYU Special Teams Coordinator, Linebackers Coach, and Assistant Head Coach Ed Lamb, and former BYU quarterback Riley Nelson. Thanks as well to Coordinating Producer Terry South, Associate Producer Cole Wissinger, and BYU Radio General Manager Don Shaline. Back with you live next week, 6 o'clock Mountain Time, with our final show in the month of August, when my guests will be BYU football defensive coordinator Eli Satuiaki and former BYU wide receiver and my former colleague on the BYU football radio crew, Nate Mickle. I'm Greg Grubel saying in the meantime and in between time, this has been Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Good night. You have been listening to Behind the Mic with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to the podcast at byuradio.org.